welcome to this series about the Australian Charter of Healthcare Rights entitled Patient Power, Healthcare Rights and Positive Change. My name is Julie McCrossan. I'm a throat cancer survivor and a patient and family advocate. And this series is hosted by Health Consumers New South Wales and supported by the Australian Commission on Safety and Quality in Healthcare. And we're broadcasting to you today on the land of the Gadigal people, and I'd like to acknowledge Elders past, present and emerging. Now we're here to talk about the Australian Charter of Healthcare Rights. It spells out our rights to access, safety, respect, partnership, information, privacy and giving feedback to improve healthcare. And essentially this series is all about encouraging you to learn more about the Charter and to use it to improve health services for yourself and your family but also for the community at large. In this particular episode, we're talking about community representatives improving health care. We want patients, family and all sorts of clinicians to form partnerships and improve the quality of health care. And the Charter has a role in doing it. So let me introduce you to four people who are very active in just that. It's my welcome to first Dr Ben Bravery, cancer survivor and medical doctor and the author of a book called The Patient Doctor. Welcome also to Layla Hallam, a consumer leader and advocate, an employed consumer representative with Sydney Local Health District, and also a board member and chair of a range of consumer health groups. And Layla got involved in this whole area after the treatment and ultimate death of her late father. And welcome also to Shona Edwards from Adelaide, uh, Shona is a youth cancer and disability advocate, deputy chair of Cancer Voices SA and a postgraduate university student at the University of Adelaide. And finally, Professor Sandra Turner, a radiation oncologist in Western Sydney and the professional development lead with FLASH in Western Sydney. And that's all about fostering leadership skills with all sorts of health professionals uh, and involving uh, consumers uh, in that training. So welcome guys and, and thank you so much. Look, we want to inspire people, Shona, I'll come to you first. We want to inspire people to embrace becoming a community representative, really trying to, to help others. Now you're very involved. Tell us, first of all, perhaps about Cancer Voices SA, South Australia, and what you do there. Yeah, so I'm both a cancer advocate and a disability advocate, but cancer advocacy is where I started. Um, and in Cancer Voices South Australia, um, I'm deputy chair. So we are a volunteer uh, advocacy group run by consumers for consumers. Uh, first incorporated in 2007 um, and proudly involved in research ever since. Um, we have a flagship program that has run for over 10 years now, Survivors as Teachers, which is in collaboration with uh, the University of Adelaide Medical School. And what we do is we bring cancer patients to tutorials with the third year medical students. Um, and what this does is allows people with a lived experience of cancer um, as a patient, as a carer or a family member to tell their whole story, um, the good and the bad and everything in between. Um, and I've been uh, organising uh, this program in recent years and, and taking part as a facilitator. And what we see is that this has a huge impact on the medical students and the speakers al alike. 
um, and has demonstrated how the consumer story has such a power to influence. Um, and if I can share a little bit about what that's like, our speakers really share the things that helps them the most, um, even down to tiny gestures from their doctors that helps them feel seen. And through this program, um, those speakers get to contribute to the education of future doctors by telling their story. And we've seen in our evaluation of the program that speakers report feeling almost a cathartic effect from telling their story that helps them understand what they went through um, and helps them feel like a part of something where they're improving the system. And often that means turning uh, perhaps the worst thing that happened to them into something positive. And I've been part of this as a speaker and I've also observed you as a facilitator there. And what struck me with the medical students is on each occasion, some of the students have started crying and they've also shared um, their own concerns with us about the challenges they're facing as students. How do you understand that? Because you've obviously seen this happen many times. Yes, we see it quite a lot. And I think what is happening there is we're disrupting what they might expect from an education environment by bringing the cancer patient to them. We're all in the room and we're sitting around in a circle on equal footing. And I think that really helps um, all of us to see each other as human. Um, and it, the environment really does encourage mutual sharing of vulnerability. And so we learn um, from the students even as they learn from us. Shona, you mentioned that the, the Patients as Teachers program with the medical students is voluntary. And as someone who's been there, you can feel the respect from the medical students when they realise we're doing all this for free. And yet some people, and I think you're one of them, would like to make advocacy a profession, to make it part of how you make your living. Tell us some of the issues there and, and what your thoughts are there, given we're encouraging people to become community representatives with this, with this discussion. Yeah, I think I've noticed over the time I've been working as a consumer advocate that um, this is an issue and, and broadly I think there are two types of consumer advocate um, and when it comes to fees, I think we need to tailor compensation to the needs of those two types and I think the first type is someone who um, does want to do this for charity and uh, volunteer and that is their choice um, and I think for some people on Centrelink getting paid for consumer work can um, complicate their pension or benefits. So we need to be really mindful of that issue. But the second type of person who uh, does advocacy work may want to professionalise and may be looking for a job in the healthcare system where they can make a difference. Um, and I think that is something we should also respect. So I would really love to see for professional consumer advocates um, a pathway to a job so that we can develop our skills through this work um, and have consumer work recognised as valid experience that they can bring to any job. And I know that my own uh, consumer advocacy has absolutely informed every part of my life and that's um, in my work and study and research as well. So I think we should value it that way. And in another of our episodes, we're going to hear about a program at Royal Prince Alfred Hospital in Sydney where they're currently recruiting lived experience educators. Uh, paid positions to work in education with staff across the board in Sydney Local Health District. So watch out for that episode. Look, I'd like to welcome now Layla Hallam uh, to join us. And Layla is a consumer leader and advocate and indeed in a, a paid position uh, connected to Sydney Local Health District. Tell us your thoughts 
on this charter and the role it can play in encouraging people to become community representatives. Do you see it as a useful document? Absolutely. I think the charter is the aspiration that we're all working towards as patients. And I think, you know, um, if I can just pick up the remuneration because that's a position that I sit with too, but um, for me, my remuneration is not because I'm a consumer representative for Sydney Local Health District. My remuneration is because I'm a consumer advisor to the organisation. The, the consumer representatives are all voluntary positions. I have just been very fortunate to have landed in a position where I, I've been able to um uh, you know, go back to uni, understand safety and quality, and I was supported to do that by the organisation and for that I'm internally grateful. But I think to Shona's point, for me it wasn't about becoming a professional. For me it was about actually wanting to make a difference, to, to actually change something that I thought there was an opportunity to do better and had it not been paid, had it not been for the opportunity of having some paid work, I would have continued to do it anyway. But I may not have been able to give it the thrust of my energy that I was able to give by being paid. And of course, being paid means that I can also contribute to my mortgage and you know, feed my kids and do all of those other things that we also need to get done. So I think what it does is not simply professionalize, but actually enable consumer representation from a position of a much higher um, informed base it allows us to network more because it allows us the time to be able to go and do all the things that we need to do in order to be the best consumer representatives we can be for the organisation. The charter, I think, is, a, is, is one of the most powerful tools that we actually have. And I remember 10 years ago when I first um, walked into a, a, an ED with my dad, I was having a lot of trouble in the emergency department. So I actually, on the third occasion, within a short period of time, I actually took in the charter for whatever reason I found it. And I took in the charter and I waved it. <laughs> but it didn't make a difference. So the charter is the start. The charter is the aspiration. The work that I do is about making that charter actually work on the ground when I <laughs> when I would go back into um, an actual interaction. And Layla, I'll come to that in a moment. But my understanding is at that time in in uh, emergency department, they actually got security to you. <laughs> yes, they did. Yeah. They did, and that and that was because that was because I was being separated from my dad who at the time had a significant neurological issues, couldn't move, couldn't talk, couldn't so couldn't do anything. And when we had gone in, because he was being attended to by clinicians who had no idea what his disease was not, and he wasn't able to contribute, of course, they would just make a whole string of assumptions about what was going on. And by separating us, it meant that I wasn't there to be able to say, no, no, that's not the issue. This is the issue. This is what's going on. What, what, can I just say one of the reasons we've included uh, widows and, and family members in this series is because uh, as someone who was very sick myself, and I know Ben Bravery will hear from shortly, is also had a very serious illness, we rely on family to be our advocates. And so this charter is very much about both. But look, for time reasons, I just want to get some examples of what you've, one or two examples of what you feel you've been able to achieve as a community representative, because my understanding is you want to make sure culture, structures and processes are in place 
so that that charter can be made real in practical terms. So give us an example where you feel that's been achieved. So when I first started... um Years ago, when I first started, I was doing work with um, trying to get families into um, into our wards because families are knowledge holders. They're the people who often have a depth of information. And when patients are really vulnerable, they can't necessarily give the information that they need to. They can't even they can't necessarily um, receive the information that they need to. So having another set of ears is entirely in the patient's interest. One of the projects that we're working on with Sydney Local Health District, which was a beautiful program, was one called Partners in Care, and that was essentially saying that the patient chooses who their family member is, whether it's by blood or otherwise. So it can be anybody, but it's their choice as to who it is and it's who I want by my side at any point in my care, day or night and wherever we are. And I think that's one of the things that um, that I was involved in at a ground level that was um, very, uh, I think it was mind-blowingly important from a, from a patient perspective because we also know that families who contribute to patient care actually help patients better self-manage, have better patient outcomes, um, and actually contribute to staff, um, support staff in the work that they do. And my understanding is that with Sydney Local Health District, there was a great deal of staff training about uh, part, family as partners in care. So it was like a systemic message to the team. Look, time is limited. Just a quick word from you on the role of training, advocacy training uh, for community representatives, because some people will be part of, watching this or listening to our podcast thinking, what support can I have to make a difference? So in a nutshell, the role of training for advocates. I'd say for any advocate thinking of, or for any any consumer, anyone who has lived experience and who has somehow been involved in our health system, you are a consumer. You become a consumer rep when you commit to working with the system and you start to listen to other consumers, patients, families, other people who are interacting with the system. When we talk about training, I would say to a consumer, come on board, be supported. There is training, there is formal training that sits within the system, but there is also peer-to-peer support that may not be formalised training but is certainly there because there is a growing network of, of consumers who are actually relying on each other. And one other thing is also be prepared to be able to share your experiences because potentially you also could be a trainer to the clinicians. So training is not simply about the the consumers always having to be trained. It's about that whole reciprocity. You know, I do it for you and you do it for me and then we have a meeting of minds. Thank you so much, Layla. And I, I want to stay with this theme of education, professional development, training, and welcome Professor Sandra Turner. You're a radiation oncologist in Western Sydney, but I want to talk about the fostering leadership across systems in health educational program, FLASH is the acronym, in Western Sydney, and you're the professional development lead. Now, you're working with doctors, nurses and allied health. In a nutshell, what's the purpose of that training? How does it link to what we're talking about? So the purpose of, of FLASH was to really teach people, health professionals, about those areas that we were not exposed to during our traditional uh, training, either as undergraduates or in specialty programs 
and I was always interested in education. Um, I studied about education leadership and how to integrate that within programs and was lucky enough to be able to take up a role where I was asked to develop leadership programs for health professionals. We started with doctors as a cohort to, to test this on and I was very well aware of what was not taught during our medical student and specialty training. And what we were not taught was how to use our position and responsibility to improve the system. Mm -hmm. So basically from there that has grown to uh, the other health professionals and more recently the interaction between the different professions, which is obviously vitally important in it's healthcare and really all education should be done within the teams in which we work. Um, but the, you say what's the overall purpose is to improve the, the healthcare system both within and outside hospitals and in the community and to empower people to be able to take action in, in, in making improvements. And I'm just so thrilled you're doing it because I think as consumer reps you sometimes want to, you want to work in partnership with doctors and other health staff and they don't always know how to do that change management if I could call it that. But You've been, an, uh, a, I guess, a medical community representative doing uh, broad advocacy beyond this training. Just tell us about the Targeting Cancer campaign and, and what you've done there. So Targeting Cancer was an awareness, is an awareness campaign that, that we started several years ago through our professional organisation, but that was very much um, reliant on partnering with consumers and ambassadors, and you were one of those, Julie. Um, and we realised very quickly that the power was in not only um, engaging um, and fostering relationships within our professional network, but very much engaging with community and consumers and ambassadors to tell stories, to, um, to give us the skills or lend us the skills that we didn't have as health professionals. And through that campaign, which was about raising awareness of radiation therapy as a, as a treatment option, which is often underused, even in rich countries like Australia, um, we have shifted the dial in terms of uh, getting uh, patients and the community more aware of radiation as a, as a treatment. Um, and really, the power of that came through the partnerships between consumers and the professionals running the program. Give me one key lesson you've learned about making change in health systems because everybody listening to this podcast or watching these videos wants to improve healthcare and it's hard. Yeah. Well, what's one lesson you've learned yeah. about it? Well, one lesson I've learned is that it's hard. Yeah, <laughs> but, totally. but I think um, I think breaking it down into uh, what are the components of leadership. So it was mentioned before that some understanding of quality improvement science and the methodology is one system under, under or, or one um, tool. Um, understanding how to influence and build teams and networks to uh, understand how the system works and what executives need because they're working under a whole lot of restrictions and limitations that we may not understand. So I think, again, what we're doing with our program is trying to link people sort of up and down the system, break down those traditional hierarchies and silos between professions, between health professionals and consumers 
consumers, between senior and more junior people um, in the system. And only in understanding other people's perspectives can we actually um, get passion together <laughs> towards a particular goal and make a, a change in that area. And change is possible, we see it all the time. Yes, the maintenance of hope is critical <laughs> yes. and I, I know you do this internationally as well. Let me welcome Dr Ben Bravery now and uh, Ben is a cancer survivor uh, and a, a medical doctor and the author of The Patient Doctor. Uh, the story of your cancer and then your decision to study medicine mm. and put the heart back into healthcare, I just love it. <laughs> What lessons have you learned so far? You know, you clearly thought becoming a doctor was going to help, but what lessons have you learned about making positive change? I totally agree with Professor Turner that it's bloody hard, um, but that it's absolutely necessary. And the thing that struck me since crossing over into medicine and then writing the book is that the appetite for change is enormous. So I've, I've been overwhelmed by all pockets across the whole sector that are all working in small ways. And I think there is no one big solution. I think it's a number of, and it's accumulation of thousands of small solutions. But I am so hopeful because there are so many passionate people out there working on this problem. Yeah, it's one of the key lessons. Find the people wherever you are in the system who also want to make change and build those connections and relationships. Because relationships keep us going, mm. I think. But look, you, you've written the book um, the patient doctor, but you're also doing a lot of public speaking while being a young father and training in psychiatry, so you're a busy guy. What are you hoping to achieve with your public speaking? I'm hoping to humanise the doctor-patient relationship, and that sounds silly to say because it's obvious that there's two humans in it, but I feel like a lot of the time that gets eroded at the expense of system pressures, and a lot of it is our training, both undergraduate and postgraduate. A lot of it is people not knowing about the charter and the power difference that exists in that relationship. I'm trying to break down some of the barriers that doctors and patients have in really connecting authentically, which they've done for centuries, but for a whole bunch of reasons um, recently has, has been eroded. And I think has made both sides less satisfied with the overall experience. And... and the leadership training that Sandra's been talking about, and I should say, Sandra, you involve patient representatives in, in, in the training as speakers. I'm working in as well, shall we? <laughs> talking at the Oh, you're about yeah, to do yeah. it. I'm very I didn't, nervous. I didn't know that. Because, well, well, my question was, could you benefit from leadership oh. training? So what are you looking for? Why do you think you can have that training? Absolutely. Absolutely, the training is needed. Doctors are very good at telling people what to do. They're not very good at leading people in how to do it. And I think a lot of that comes with the status and power that we inherit, but the absence of that in our training. And you see that filter through the way we deal with patients, the way we deal with, that, with each other, and the way we deal with the other professions. I would love to see fundamental leadership skills around interprofessional communication, empathy, and core communication. Shona, thank you. Shona Edwards, uh, uh, our uh, uh, representative from Adelaide, you're madly nodding there. I, I wonder in, in the moment, we only have moments left, but you're involved as a peer support person with a disability group at the University of Adelaide. You became disabled as a result of your past cancer treatment. You're about to have major treatment again. What do you enjoy about being an advocate and how's it helping you now when you're about to face big stuff? Yeah, I was madly nodding. And, and to echo the point earlier about relationships, I think peer support is the most rewarding work that I do. Um, and, and to me, peer support is also activism in a fundamental way. Um, and I think it's being on the ground in a 
community that understands each other and, and truly learning from each other. Um, and I, I, so by talking to my peers um, in the disabled and cancer communities, um, I can identify when something that happened to me has happened to others. And so we can recognize it's systemic. Um, and by talking to my peers, I'm staying in touch and accountable to the people that I represent as an advocate. Um, and I think that's how you start movements for change um, by building trust between all the people involved with a really solid foundation. And I think as I face um, future treatment now, um, from the very small scale, peer, peer support one-to-one is connecting with each other through a shared experience. Um, and on a larger scale, um, you really get what you're willing to put in out of peer support. Um, so I know that because I've done uh, service to my community, I know that they'll be there for me as well when I need them. That's so true. Look, I just want to thank all of you so much for being part of this conversation. You must have decided, if you're listening to this or watching us, that you want to become a community representative to improve healthcare, and I, I commend it to you. Uh, I was treated 10 years ago, and I've gained so much meaning uh, from being involved in trying to help others. It, it relieves some of the trauma, I think, of the original experience. Look, if you want more information and resources about the Australian Charter of Healthcare Rights, go to Health Consumers New South Wales website, www.hcnsw.org.au, and you can see there there's loads of information about this series and the biographical information and lots of resource links for everyone involved in this, the episodes. I'm Julie McCrossan. See you for the next episode.